Okay, real quick, if you're a business owner that wants to stand out in the market and expand your custom base, I'd love to send you a copy of my free ebook. Visit our website at danielleclark.uk to get your copy now or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to Build Better Brands. I'm Danielle Clark and this show is here to provide insights, techniques and strategies to help you establish a better brand with confidence and clarity. We're on a mission to help as many people as possible start and build stronger brands so they can create happier, healthier lives for themselves and those around them. Welcome to Build Better Brands. This episode is a bit different as it's from a podcast I was interviewed on called The Engaging Marketer with Darren Jamieson, co-founder of Engage Web and responsible for the SEO strategy of the company and its clients. We took a deep dive into my business but began by talking about how branding became my passion. What kind of things were you into when you were in school or going through college that made you want to go into this area? Well, at school, I used to like lots of lessons. I used to love science. I used to love geography because I loved nature and learning, learning about other countries. I loved art. Anything that kind of got me away from the desk and if I was at the desk but being creative, I was okay. I didn't like maths. I was never very good at maths. Yeah, I think that was probably the only subject that I didn't really like. Subjects I loved was definitely art, geography and English especially creative writing. You know, I used to love it if we had to write a story or if we had to do some poetry or something like that. I used to absolutely love that. And so when I when I left school and went to college, I took geography, AS level, graphic design, AS level, geography, and English language and literature. <laughs> <laughs> because I wasn't sure, I considered becoming an English teacher. I considered becoming a fine artist uh, I considered doing graphic design and at the time for me I, I thought graphic design meant I'd get to design album covers because that was the one thing that kind of really got me into design in that, in that way. I wanted to design album covers because I love music and I love looking at them. Mm. So I thought I'd be doing that or something cool like skateboards, like designing <laughs> the back of skateboards. Um, a bit of Tony Hawk. Yeah, something like that because I was, I was into that sort of music at the time as well. Mm. I was into a bit of rock and used to borrow my mate's skateboards. But yeah, so I did my S levels and then realised that most artists were poor. Yeah. Until, of course, they pass away and then they become really rich and famous. <laughs> Unless you're Tracy Emin or Damien Hurst. We're not all them, though, are we? No. To, no, to name a few. And then geography, I ended up really disliking geography because... The, the teacher sucked the life out of the subject. <laughs> I just went from loving geography to absolutely hating it. It's amazing how um, a bad teacher can ruin your passion for something, isn't it? Yeah, completely. And then became less interested in, in English and thought, actually, I think I do really want to pursue graphic design. So I, um, when my AS levels were done... I moved into a BTEC national diploma, which is it's like the equivalent of three A levels, and went and did solely graphic design. So when when you were doing this, because I know from my experience, when I went, I, I did A level art in school, and my art teacher actually told me at GCSE, don't do A level art. 
because I oh, really? he didn't think I was good enough. Yeah, he, he didn't think I was good enough. I mean, he, he was a typical art teacher, you know, the sort of pot smoking type art teacher. Oh. But I ended up doing A level, and I went on to do a diploma, got a distinction, and then I went to art school effectively mm. and i run a web design agency so up yours mr lawton um, but yeah. w- what sort of support did you get from say family for example because my dad didn't want me doing this sort of thing either he thought i should be doing a proper subject oh my mum was my biggest cheerleader i remember speaking to my mum i think she'd been watching some sort of documentary and i'm pretty sure it was my mum that actually first told me about graphic design I wasn't, I don't think I was even at secondary school yet and I found out about it. Uh, or maybe I was at secondary school. Anyway, she'd, she'd seen this documentary and it was it was about this graphic designer. The thing that stood out to her the most was um, how much money this guy was earning. <laughs> I remember my mum getting really excited and telling me and at the time she was like, I mean, he was doing all this amazing design work and he was getting paid like... I think he was getting like something like 30k a year and I'm going back a few years you know and 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 that salary is it's still you know good salary I think the average salary is about 25 so he wasn't doing too bad and yeah my mum was really just as interested in it as I was and told me all about it and she's never ever said to me oh don't go into that career don't get a proper job or whatever you know I remember at one point I was talking to her about becoming an athlete because we'd been to town and there was this this guy that was uh, basically busking to raise money so that he could go to the, the Olympics. He was doing all these dances, these like Michael Jackson dances. Oh, awesome. And he had this like, yeah, we had this Michael Jackson mask thing. <laughs> and the way he held it was it had this weird plastic contraption on the back that he bit, that he kept in his mouth while yeah. he did his moves so it didn't fall off. And I was really inspired by him. I was like, wow, this guy's really cool. Like, he's going to the Olympics and he gets to dance around. And, and for a moment, I was like, mum, I think I want to be becoming an athlete. And again, she was super supportive. So, yeah, wh- whatever I kind of said that I wanted to do, I always, ha- always have had my mum's back in and support. So I've, I've been very lucky. It's amazing you didn't want to become a dancer. Is that a horrible confession here? I used to have a Michael Jackson mask as well. <laughs> <See you. laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I'm a, I'm a massive michael jackson fan i've seen him in concert a few times uh, yeah. i had a cardboard cutout from one of the shops that i managed to get them to to, to give me you know for the the history tour the big statue mm-hmm. um i've still got all of the the, the 12 inch dolls the that's the smaller figures i've got all the picture discs uh no i never got an autograph of him i did drunkenly once buy at auction a framed picture of lots of pictures of Michael Jackson in the middle. It's got Jermaine Jackson's autograph. I, I don't know why I bought that. So I've got Jermaine's autograph, but I haven't got Michael's autograph. Yeah, it's, it's close. But I did have a mask as well. And me and my mate used to make lots of Michael Jackson uh, music videos. So uh, he'd do all the dancing and I would do all the filming, except I did do the jam rap once, you know, you know from, from the song Jam. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. badly. And I didn't look the part at all. But yeah, massive Michael Jackson fan. So yeah, you you got my interest there. It's, it's amazing you didn't want to become a dancer after seeing this guy do that. Well, I mean, I think I think at one point I thought I think you do, especially when you're a kid and you see things that are really inspiring. You go through these phases. Like I remember watching Karate Kid and being like, oh girl, I want to do karate. And 
when I was older, I remember watching a film called Save the Last Dance and being like, oh my gosh, I want to be a dancer now. <laughs> <laughs> so you do kind of flitter between, you know, you see something as a kid, you get inspired and you're like, oh, I fancy doing that. But yeah, the design, the art and design thing, the creative side of me is all, has definitely always been there. So so after you, you finished then, you, you got your, your qualifications and you decided you're not going to become a professional athlete. For, for whatever reason, you, you, you knocked that dream on the head. What what, yeah. what was your first real break in the industry? Because it, it's notoriously difficult to get into, and most people who want some sort of graphical or creative work tend to want it from somebody who's young for free. I used to be a part of the, an organisation called Millennium Volunteers, hmm. which was based in, in Birmingham. It was through them that I got my first bit of real experience working as a designer I suppose looking back it was less design and more artwork but at the time I didn't really understand what an art worker was but now I do I've done all sorts of volunteering kind of working in charity shops and and kind of you know you'd go to places and you'd, you'd tidy up places and you know it could be a community garden or or you know an activity centre or something like that but I, I remember speaking to, to one of the kind of key uh, youth group workers and saying, oh, I'd be really interested in getting some experience in design. You know, is there, is there anything that I can do through Millennium Volunteers? The lady's name is Claire, actually. I still, I'm still in touch with her on Facebook. And she came across the medical illustration department at um, a hospital in Birmingham called Heartlands Hospital. Mm. And they said that they there'd be potential for me to go there for however many days and kind of work alongside the medical illustration team. And I didn't even know that the hospital had such a department. I didn't realise a department exi- like that existed at the time. I was at college at the time, so I took all my sketchbooks. This was while I was doing my, my BTEC in graphic design. So I think I was probably my second or third year and it was the first kind of interview scenario I'd ever really experienced for that sort of job. So I went in with my sketchbooks and my portfolio and stood up and went through each kind of board that I'd, I'd mounted with like all my final pieces, you know, like a business card, a letterhead. This is the logo I've designed. And then I'd show them the sketchbook for all that with all my ideas, and my thoughts and my concepts and stuff. And I was probably let's see, college. So I was probably 16 or 17. Mm. And there were, like, everyone from the medical illustration department was there, sat around this round table. And I think it was probably about five or six people. So actually, looking back, (laughs) pretty intimidating for someone so young. But, yeah, they obviously obviously liked me because they, they said, yeah, to me coming in. I think I went, I started going in, I think it was a couple of times a week. Yeah, what what was meant to be a few days lasted longer and it was, was a number of weeks where I was kind of going in and seeing what the artworkers do, seeing what the designers do. I got to see what the photographers did as well and like see some of the equipment. It was amazing and so super valuable. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. So that was my first kind of real taste of getting a bit of experience. And like you say, it wasn't, it wasn't paid, it was voluntary, so mm. I, I paid for my lunch. Luckily, I had a, a bus pass that got me to me from there. It wasn't very far at all from where I lived at the time. 
and it all worked out really well. And the work that I did there, you know, I used that in my portfolio when I then went to went and applied to go to university. So it taught me a lot. It's amazing when I when I speak to people in the sort of the the creative industry, and that everyone's got a story. You know, like like you just said there, where you you are doing stuff for free, effectively. You know, you yeah. say paying for your own lunch as well. It makes me realise how incredibly lucky I was, because my my first job out of university was as a web designer for game. Yeah, I, I don't. I, awesome. To this day, I don't know how I got that. I have no <laughs> idea because I had no experience. I had never even worked for a company. I'd never even had a paper round. You know, the whole idea of turning up to an office and being there for nine o'clock and then going at five o'clock, it was just completely alien to me. And I just got this job at game, designing the game website. So how the hell did that happen? And it's just pure bloody chance. I think it's just luck. Speaking of paper rounds, I had a paper round. And you have a paper round? (laughs) (laughs) And Sunday papers were the worst. Because they were really heavy and really thick. And a lot of the time you have to take them apart to get them through the letterbox. Yeah. And then sometimes you get people with really old-fashioned doors with the tiniest of letterboxes that was at the bottom of the door, not in the middle. So, yeah, sun, Sunday paper rounds weren't, weren't great fun. But, yeah, and then after, when I finished uni, I must have applied for probably, I spent the summer just applying for jobs, applying for jobs. I probably applied for about 100 jobs. Mm. It, anything that was around graphic design, junior designer. I think there was, what was it, uh, office junior, which was a bit more admin-y. But just anything to kind of get my foot in the door. But actually, you know what, tell a lie. I've just remembered that actually when I was at secondary school, I don't know if you had to do this, but there was a point at secondary school where you had to go and get some work experience for two weeks. Yes, yes, I did have to do that. (laughs) And I remember... The school had got me work experience in a shop which no longer exists called Quicksave. I remember it well. And I was fuming <laughs> <laughs> because no disrespect to, to anybody that works in a shop and that works at Quicksave or any other supermarket, but I had no interest in doing that, in, in stacking shelves for two weeks. That that is all. Like, that is awful work experience to do. That. Yeah, I don't know what they were like, thinking with that. Why have you not got me something remotely related to one of my interests, like maybe art or design? Hmm. You know. So I said to them, right, if I find my own within, I think I had about a week to find somewhere. Can I change it? And they said, yeah. I think I got like the online yellow pages. Okay. And started looking for local, like local design agencies. But the thing that cropped up a lot, actually, in the yellow pages, it wasn't so much design agencies; it was printers. Hmm. So a lot of printers popped up, and I, I remember printing them out and getting a pen and getting a phone, which was a landline, my mum's landline, and literally just calling them, telling them I needed two weeks' work experience. I was at school. This is what I'm interested in. Can I come? and just making loads and loads and loads of phone calls. And eventually, there was a particular printers, which I think are still going, Pronto Print. They said yes, and I went along, and it was me and two two other guys from another school that were there doing sort of work experience. And they had an, an office in the, in the centre of Birmingham, and the one kind of on the outskirts, which was in Edgebaston. Mm. Um, so I was kind of in between the two. On the first 
<laughs> the first day, I remember the two other lads that were there, they got told off, and I think they got told not to come back. Oh, you don't <laughs> want that on work experience. They were messing about with the printer, doing something they shouldn't have been doing, and I think they, they broke something, and like mm. the printer malfunctioned. And, yeah, I'm pretty sure they got told off and told like not to come back. I, of course, didn't do anything like that. I was extremely well-behaved. Of course. Turned up on time, you know, wanted to help out as much as possible. They actually gave me a job. Yeah. I impressed them that much. I think I was working there for four weeks. Bearing in mind I was still at school, because I remember they were asking me for my national insurance number. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I don't have a national insurance card yet. I'm, I'm not old enough to have one yet Mm. i think it was like i was gonna get it like that june and this was like probably may or something april or may and i hadn't hadn't got it yet how old are you when you get your ni number 16 i think 16 yeah Yeah. so i was definitely yeah so i was 15 then um but they gave me a job anyway and yeah i was uh photocopying binding taking phone calls doing doing filing going and getting lunch doing the petty cash i absolutely loved it and that was actually my first paid job in a in a design environment no it's 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 really interesting you say that because it's your first paid job but you unlike me you just landed on it and got lucky you worked mm. at it you were making calls yeah. and calls and calls to do it because we, we get people calling us here about work experience uh, but it's never the kids themselves doing it. It's always either the parents or it's um, teachers or it's somebody else saying that my grandson or something is doing work Oh, experience. really? We, we, there's never any kid takes initiative themselves to do it. They just don't want to do it. They don't want to pick up the phone. They don't want to speak to people. Certainly not now. It may have Gosh. been different when you were younger because obviously the texting wasn't quite so prevalent and emailing no. wasn't quite so prevalent. I remember being young and having a fear of the phone. Like, I used to, if mum wasn't around and it rang, I'd just be like, I'm not picking that up. <laughs> and if I had to phone someone, like, if I even if I had to phone, like, my nan or my granddad, I'd be like, oh, I don't know what to say. When you're that age, you're very conscious of yourself and how you sound and what you say and sounding stupid. It was just the thought of working at Quicksave for two weeks, stuck in shelves, I mean, I'm closing my eyes and grimacing as I think about it. I was just like, I'm not mm. doing that. And that was what, why I was like, I am I am doing the yellow pages, I'm picking up the phone, and I will call them, and I will find something. And I, and I did, and it, yeah, like you say, it led to a job. Yeah, that's, that's great perseverance. I mean, my work experience was like the one that you almost had, unfortunately. I had some really bad advice from my mum, because my mum was not the person to ask for advice on this. And... The one thing she said, well, why don't you put down garage petrol pumps as your first choice? Because then people might give you tips. Firstly, I'm too young to do that. And secondly, they don't have petrol pump dispenders in, dispensers in the UK. That's an American thing. Yeah. So she'd been watching too much Quincy, I think. And then she suggested, well, you like animals. Why don't you put down working with pets? So I thought, I thought okay, what I'll do is I'll put down DIY no, actually, garden centre. Garden centre I put down because I thought, oh, I'm going to work in the pet department of a garden centre. What I should have put down was pet shop because they put me in the garden department of a DIY store. So I ended up working with plants in Great Mills DIY. 
and it was the most horrific two weeks of my life. I ended up offending somebody really badly. Oh, one one yeah. of one of the ladies that worked there, and I, I just remember her coming in and, and just shouting at me, and I thought, "Oh Christ, is this what works like? I'm not going to like this at all." But luckily, she took the second week off, so that was only for the first week. Okay. I was glad she didn't come back, but yeah, work experience was not for me. I, I really made a made a mess of that. So, you now obviously work for yourself. Yeah. What made you take that horrifically? big leap and decision because it, it is like chucking yourself into a void doing that it was a number of things but the main thing was because i've been made redundant a few times and even that word redundant it's horrible isn't it it's you are of no use <laughs> you are no longer needed that is what that word means which is which is horrible i was working for a small design agency for for a while because it was small there wasn't a lot of room for growth but also that being said, I definitely got pigeonholed there. When I was ready to grow and take on responsibility, the opportunity wasn't there and wasn't given to me because eventually the opportunity did, did arise and it just wasn't it just wasn't going my way. So I, I decided to to move. Why 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 do you think they didn't give you the opportunity? I don't think they they really believed that I was capable. I think because I've, I'd come into the the agency at a certain level, I think when it's a small business sometimes, there's that perception of, okay, this is where they've come in and that's where we're going to kind of keep them. This is what we brought them in to do and we just want them to do that. I'm an ambitious person. I always have been. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I often think that, Sometimes when you're an ambitious person and you're an ambitious woman, it can be looked at differently compared to men that are ambitious. I think that played a part as well because it is a very male-dominated industry. And when I look around at the senior designers, at the creative directors, at the, the heads, you know, they all tend to be men. So that definitely plays a part. But, yeah, I just I just wanted more. And I wanted to earn more. I wanted to get onto the property ladder. Now, that was a big thing at the time. I really wanted my own place and my own space. And and when you go in and asking for a mortgage in principle or whatever, you know, it, those things depend on what you're earning. So so that makes you even more ambitious because of, of course you want those you want those things. Generally most people do. So that's when I say it was a mixture of things, really. And I left and, and the job I went into it wasn't the right environment without going into too much detail. This is why I tend to listen to my gut a lot more now because my gut was telling me, even at the interview, that the place I was going to wasn't quite right and I didn't listen to it because the salary was really good. And I thought, like, I could really make a difference, make an impact, but wasn't the right culture for me at all and yeah it didn't go to plan so you know I got basically made redundant from there moved to somewhere else and and it was kind of a mixture of I was going to leave but then they said they also said that it wasn't working out and it was kind of a mutual thing but I kind of got made redundant from there as well and I started to really doubt myself and doubt my skills and yeah. it affected my confidence and it was a really, really tough time. And then I moved somewhere else and it was incredible. 
probably the best team I've ever worked in and along alongside. And that company got into financial difficulty, like so many companies have recently. And that company went under, moved somewhere else, started off well, was working with some extremely creative, young minds, very passionate. Again, that didn't go to plan. They got into financial difficulty and it was a case of uh, last one in, first one out. And I was the last one in. So, yeah, got made redundant from there. So it's it's happened a fair few times. And then I got a really good role working on the Next Directory catalogue. That was a maternity cover. I remember telling some friends that that, that opportunity had arose, and, but it wasn't permanent, so I was umming and ahhing about whether I should take it because I was always very much, oh, if it's a permanent job, it's secure, but all of these other jobs were supposed to be permanent and they weren't secure, so... Yeah my mindset hadn't quite changed at that point. And they were all saying, oh my gosh, you've got a job interview at Next. Because apparently it's really hard to get into Next, in, into the, you know, the head office, especially in design. And I was like, oh, okay, it's got a good reputation. And they're all like, yeah, like you should totally go for it. <laughs> so I did and I got it and I absolutely loved it. And then COVID came along and I was like, Ultimately, I got tired of not being in control and not knowing what was going to happen. You know, the shock, having these shocks, you know, companies going under, companies getting into financial difficulty, going to a company and the culture not being right, them not being aligned with my values, you know, and one of them is integrity. And, and I really mean that, you know, things like that. And just being like, I'm not in control of any of this. And it's really doing my head in. I've got it within me. I know I have because I had side projects. I had, you know what it's like when you're in design, you know, your mum, your mum's friend's brother, whatever, finds out, oh, can you do us, can you do us a website, Darren? Can you do us a logo, Danielle? You know, mm-hmm. so I had side projects going on and I just thought other people are doing it. My partner's self-employed. He was a big inspiration for me. He fits bathrooms, completely different fields, but but seeing him working and seeing him making it successful and being his own boss, I was very much, I, I know I can do this. So I, I just decided to do it and go for it. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying there about the, the redundancy, following redundancy, the, the big thing that people always say about the fear about going into a business for yourself is that what if your business fails? What if you end up failing and and not you know your business goes under and you have to go and get a job and I've always said you know whether you're employed or whether you run your own business the business could fail either way yeah but at least if you run your own business you're in charge of your own destiny if it fails it's on you it's not on some other person's mistake or some other person's whim to decide that you're not right for their company, they're going to get rid. Your face doesn't fit, they're going to get rid. You're not the sort of person they're going to trust to move up the corporate ladder, they're going to get rid. It's all about you and your own desire and your own determination to make it work. And you've already shown when you were in school that you've got determination to do what you want to do and make it work. So you should yeah. have, you should have had absolute confidence in yourself that your business was going to work because you get you make things happen. You make things happen from an early age. Yeah, it's a very, very good point. I've just remembered a time before that when I made something happen, actually. I was at primary school. Oh, that's going right back to making it happen. Go on. (laughs) What did you do at at primary primary school? school. Who who did you push out the sandpit to get hold of it? (laughs) Didn't push anyone. 
What do you have? What I mean, is this how I come across? Is no, no, no. I, 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 I jest. I jest. <laughs> you know what? You're probably not not far wrong. I was quite um, overzealous. I remember my mum telling me a story of a time when we were in a waiting room and I was playing on one of those mats that's got the road printed on with some cars and stuff. And I was another used, kid. used to love them. I wanted this other kid to play with me. I think I was probably three, and I think he was five. He was a bit older than me, four or five. And I wanted him to play, and he didn't want to play. And my mum said I went over and grabbed him by the back <laughs> of the scruff of his top and was pulling him to play, and he just started crying. And my mum and his mum were just sat there watching, laughing. <laughs> <laughs> That's making it happen. Yeah, I just wanted to make it happen. Yeah, so at school, I remember whenever the school was fundraising or needed money for something, you'd get a letter home saying, oh, we need money for such and such. Can you? You know, we're looking for donations. My mum was a single parent and we didn't we didn't have much so I used to hate going home with these letters because I really, I never wanted to ask my mum for money because I, I know, you know, I know that things were tough. Anyway, you know, I mentioned it to her and, and I started thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be good if there was another way we could try and raise money and I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel so, like, rubbish about asking my mum. So I had this idea of doing a school magazine. And so I... Went to my teacher, told them what I wanted to do, said that I would organise it all, <laughs> I'd do all the work. I picked some some of my friends, basically, to, to help me to put it together. Somehow the teacher said yes. Bearing in mind I was probably about eight at the time, so very young. Mm. Teacher said yes. I got my friends together. I, I'm pretty sure I did the front page, of course. Of course. It was my of idea. Course, naturally. Yeah, we all had A4 sheets of paper and marker pens and stuff. And, you know, someone did a joke page. Someone did, drew, like, a superhero type thing and made it a colouring-in page. We had, like, rhymes and riddles in there and quizzes and things. We just, we just made it up. And we drew it all on A4 pieces of paper got the teacher to photocopy the pages for us, stapled them together, went out into the playground at the end of school, end of the day, and was selling them in the playground for 20p each. <laughs> Can't remember how much money we made, but, but parents were buying them. You know, my mum bought one, um, but loads of other parents were buying one. And, and yeah, and, and the money that we raised, you know, we, we gave, it, gave it to the school. That is the first memory I have of having a problem, you know, which was raising money and not feeling like I had the means to do it, not wanting to ask my mum. Coming up with a solution, bringing like-minded people together, you know, my friends, my mates, getting all their creativity out. No one was scared about drawing, no one was scared how it was going to look because I was kind of at the forefront of that, encouraging everyone, being like, oh, we can do this, we can do this, it's going to be really great. And we produced, you know, a magazine and we sold it. And the buzz and the energy, you know, the support from the teachers, them letting us do this in, in school time, you know, using the photocopier. I don't know how I managed to <laughs> convince them, but I did. 
and that feeling of bringing people together and and, and using creativity in that way mm-hmm. that was the first time that ever happened and i think if i'm honest that's the real reason i do what i do today had, had you realized that before until we, we just mentioned that until we discussed it have we, um, have we had like a really big breakthrough here that we've just found your why? I have touched on it with my business coach oh, because, because they ask those sorts of questions. I was going to take credit for that then. Sorry, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you kind of, you have these conversations, but then you forget. And this is the first time I've actually, you know, spoken about it to someone else. And obviously uh-huh. loads of people are now, now going to hear this. Number one in marketing, by the way. We launched at number one in marketing last week. Woo! Mm, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Not bad. Please well done. That. Please with that. So you should be. That's a fantastic yeah. achievement. And why wouldn't it be? You know. Exactly. Why, why, great. Why? It's a great podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. So, as you say, you did that through creativity. So what yeah. you do is creative. So you're solving problems creatively. You you created your business to be creative, and now you're doing creative things for for other clients. So what, what sort yeah. of stuff are you doing for clients that you, you really enjoy doing, that you enjoy getting your teeth into? There's a project I'm working on right now. He's my coach in that he got me out of pain and he gets lots of people out of pain, especially people that sit at desks all day or people that are... Oh, you mean phys- physical pain? Physical, physical pain. pain, yeah, physical mm. pain. I twisted my knee really badly some years ago playing hockey. And it was never, ever the same, having seen physios and, and doctors and things. And it got to the point where I was in pain even if I wasn't moving. So just being sat at the desk, mm. my knee would seize up and I'd get shooting pains. And it was it was horrendous. And then I discovered James on through a mutual connection and then started following him on LinkedIn. And we just got talking and I started working with him. He started coaching me and giving me all these exercises, some of which I was quite dubious about to start off with. <laughs> but how long have I been working with him now? Maybe a year. I'm not in pain anymore. I don't get knee pain anymore. Like the, the guy's completely changed, genuinely changed my life. And so at the moment, I'm working with him on his rebrand. We've done some brand strategy together. Because before I do logos, I make sure that, that the brand is actually sound in that the, the person understands, like, like we touched on, what their why is, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. Is their message clear? What are their values? Who's our ideal customer? You know, all those things are super important before you start looking at visuals because without that, how can you make visuals to communicate to people when you don't know who they are? And, and how you're going to attract yeah, 100%. So we did loads of, you know, workshops in and around that, and we got his messaging sorted. And now he calls himself the Body Fix Coach because that is ultimately what he does. So now I'm working on his brand identity. And then, yeah, we're going to be working on just getting that consistent. And I've been doing my maps and doing those as sketches and doodles and... I'm looking forward to, to showing him what, what I've come up with, really. Being able to work with someone like James, someone that I know does have a genuine impact on people's lives. He genuinely helps people. He's improved my life. I want to help him build a better brand so that he can reach hundreds, if not thousands, more people mm. so we can ha- he can help them. So, yeah, super, super excited about working with him and 
I just want to work with more people like that, really. More people that want to help other people, especially in around health and, and well-being, because I really care about them. I really care about people. If I can use my creativity to help improve other people's lives, even if that's indirectly, then I'm, I'm kind of all for that. Yeah, it, it, it's important as well as, as, as the way you talk about him that you know that yes, the, the, the people you're working with are really good at what they do. It makes it so much easier to work on a brand and an identity and a message and a, and a website and, and content for somebody if they are good at what they do. Yeah, that's absolutely oh, totally. Critical. So yeah, that's what I'm up to at the moment. James <laughs> is patiently waiting for me. <laughs> oh, he's waiting for you now. No, oh, um, I was just gonna say, to get I thought, it done. All right, I thought, oh heck, we're on, we're on the clock, we're on the clock. No, 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 to get it done, but it's it's coming, and it's it's going to be awesome. Um, and yeah, once it's done, he can use it across all his kind of, not just his website and his LinkedIn and stuff, but the vision. I hope I'm not revealing too much, James. <laughs> In the future, you know, he's touched on having his own app and you know, really pushing the brand so he's got real ownership on it. I don't know anyone else that does what he does. And having been in pain for years, I didn't think he was going to be able to help me. And when I tell people, they're like, who is this man? (laughs) That's great when people are desperate to know who he is because they know how he's helped you. And if you've had personal experience of somebody, it does make it so much easier to work with them because you know what they do. I, I used to think that getting older meant that pains would arrive because of getting older. But what I've realised through working with James is just because you're getting old doesn't mean that your body should be in pain. Your body's in pain because something's going wrong. Mm. So you need to listen to it. And that, you know, that happens across the board, be it people saying that they're getting headaches all the time or, or my back hurts or, oh, it's because I'm getting old. Actually, it's not. There's something going on in your, in your body that you're not addressing. I've really learned a lot from him about that. And that's why I care so much about looking after myself, especially as a business owner. Because if touch wood, something happens, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You yeah. want to be around, right? Because it's your business. It's your, it's your, it's your baby. So when yeah. you run your own business, it, it makes you realise just how important being healthy is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the best example of, of, of health. I, I drink way, way, and I think it needs a third way, way too much. Mm. Um, but you, no, you're right. When What people often don't realize is about going into business for themselves, and they look at business owners and they think, wow, you can take holidays whenever you want. You can take the day off whenever you want. You know, you, you can go in at 10 or 11 o'clock and then knock off at three it's it's easy isn't it it's like yeah that's that's exactly what it is yeah i I just disappear for four weeks and everything's fine except that you know you do that and you're not doing anything you're not working you're not earning you know until you've actually built up a team of people to take the responsibility on when you're starting a business you are the business and you tend to be working seven in the morning till nine at night you're working saturdays you're working sundays there is no time off. You cannot take holidays because if you do, you're not earning any money. And people never mm. see that. They just see the business owner. They could swan in when they want. They can do what they like. I wish I could fire the boss and then just not turn up for work. Yeah, well, then you won't get paid, mate. Then you won't get paid. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm on the other side. I understand it a lot more. Like I say, my, my partner was self-employed whilst I was employed. Mm. And 
you know, you talk about long hours and working weekends and stuff, you know, that was him. And I used to kind of wonder, wonder why a little bit and wonder why he couldn't just finish earlier and not work on a Saturday and mm. why are you in front of your laptop on a Sunday doing quotes and it used to really frustrate me. But now I'm self-employed, I get it. Yeah, a, a, a partner is often very helpful in being supportive as well. If you get a partner that understands it, then it's a real big asset when you're you're in business for yourself. But if you get yeah. a partner that's like, where is he? Well, why hasn't he come to work? Why, why are you having to do that now? Why you, then it, it makes it far more difficult. It's, it's, it's possibly a reason why a lot of businesses or a lot of entrepreneurs or solopreneurs end up failing because they don't get the support at home that... Th- to, to basically help them make it work because you, you yeah. need you need support behind you. You cannot do it alone 24-7. You need somebody there. You need a support network there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talked about having a team. I want to have a team eventually, but in a way I kind of already do have a team. I have my partner. I have my business coach. I have other people that I, you know, I use for copywriting or photography, you know, Mm. Uh, people that I trust that are pulling to help me on projects. So although it's me, it's not. There's lots of other people involved as well. It's just not official and their faces just aren't on the website. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, that, that that is important as well, to have people you can rely on to do something because there's, there's too many people go into business for themselves, particularly in the creative industry, and they try and do everything. They try, you know, they'll, they'll try and do the photography. They'll try and do the copywriting. They'll try and do the, the Photoshop work or the illustrator work. They'll try and do the meetings. They'll try and do the admin and the invoicing. And you just end up getting into this vicious spiral and you just make yourself ill. Yeah. You make, something usually gets left out and it's quite often either the invoicing or the chasing of payments or the actual looking for new work. Because I, I, I did go freelance for a while uh, after I left game. I was living at home, I went freelance, I was getting websites in, and I had that typical spiral that all freelancers go through, where you've got loads of work on, you're really, really busy, you haven't got time to do anything, and then suddenly all the work has stopped, and you haven't been looking for new work, and you've got this lull of nothing happening. And then you've also got this lull of the work I've just done, I need to get paid for. Yeah. But the people are, I, who I've done the work for, they've been a little bit slow with the payments. And it's like, well, mm. this, this, mor- this mortgage isn't going to pay itself, unfortunately, mm. I wish it would. Mm. So you then have to chase that. That is the problem with freelancers. And I, I, I've often thought that, particularly with trades, because you, you mentioned your partner being self-employed bathroom fitter, it's really difficult for trades because they're always busy, 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 busy. But they have to spend a lot of time quoting, which is yeah. obviously unpaid. Yeah. I mean, a lot of time when they're quoting, somebody just wants the cheapest price, so they'll get three or four people in to quote for the bathroom when they'll pick the one that says they'll do it the cheapest. So you're quoting a lot of work and you're not getting paid for that. And then you're ending up having to chase payments for stuff and you're ending up having to look for more work, but you can't do it because you're, you're too busy working in the first place. It's always the invoices and the quoting that slows everything down from that. Yeah, there, definitely. There, there's there's got to be some sort of service. And this is like a mad business idea I had, actually. There's got to be some mm. sort of ber- service from somebody that's, that's like super organized that can do this for trades and do the quoting, do the measuring and, and do the invoice and all the paperwork for them. So they don't have to do it themselves. They can just get on with the bit that they're really good at which is fitting the bathrooms or wiring up the houses for electric. Yeah, it is. Again, and and I suppose that's the thing, like, if you do want to grow, you could always take someone on that does that bit. They'll probably become the salesperson because that is ultimately the, the, the sales bit. But I think it's difficult because you are, you do end up 
being lots of different people when you're self-employed. Mm. I think what I've learned really is just about having, getting a balance, knowing when you really do need to take a break and understanding that there's always going to be something that needs to be done. There's always going to be quotes to do. There's always going to be emails to answer. There's always going to be work to do. And it doesn't matter how long you work and how much you do, at the end of the day, there's still stuff to do, right? Mm. So unless you're just going to work forever and never take a break, the work's still going to be there, right? So I've I've got to the point now where I do practice like looking after myself and taking breaks when I need to alongside working hard because I can't just work constantly forever and burn myself out. It's not going to make me happy. And I notice that when that's happening, because I get snappy and more agitated, <laughs> it's not good for anyone. I think it's okay to do it sometimes, especially if you enjoy what you do. Mm. You know, I love what I do. I love working with with brands and helping to create better ones. And, you know, I love talking to people. I don't get bored doing my job. And there's times where I want to work harder and I want to work late into the night because I'm in a bit of a flow or get a deadline and I've just got to get it done and I think that's okay sometimes but not all the time Thank you for listening to Build Better Brands I am so grateful to have you tuning into the show and I'd love to thank you personally so wherever you are in the world remember to tag at Danielle Clark Creative in your social media posts and stories let us know when you're listening you want to know what you've enjoyed about the show and give you a shout out and if you would like to help more people like you discover the show please subscribe and leave us a review on itunes it's going to help us rank higher and reach more listeners it's also a great way for us to help you with the problems your brand might be facing suggest a topic in your review and we might feature it and you in one of our episodes thanks again for listening see you next time